and that's why Big Deck Mulligan is my okay people profile name. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Downloadable Concept Podcast. Humans are helpless against curses and can only redirect their influence. Talent leads not to spell curses, but receives them as a surrogate. I personally like cooking with caramelized onions. <laughs> In the outside world, the undead are accursed creatures, and Fox Lee's cleric knights are widely praised for their undead hunts. Praise the munchlacks! The leaping attack is a trademark of gems, and this gem wrench is no exception. Hey, Fox, what have you been playing? Once again, not a lot, but actually something for a change. <laughs> Uh, which is right after last week's podcast, we had an old friend visit who we hadn't seen for, well, at least a year, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and we played some Dragon's Crown, which we never got to play together back when either one of us bought it. Um, still a really fun game to play with a friend, uh, with some really gross animations. <laughs> it's <laughs> that the one with the boobs? <laughs> yep. Uh, that's the okay. one with the boobs. And, uh, some very disturbing thighs on more than one character as well. <laughs> it's beautifully gross. The, f- it is, the yeah. fact that, the fact that you could easily refer to Dragon's Crown as the game with the boobs <laughs> in a modern gaming culture and yes. universe says a lot. It's, uh, it, it's the one with the infamous boobs. Other games have boobs, but, uh, this one has, like, boobs on its boobs. This has... This one has... This one has damn boobs. It's... I... I it, it's really sad to look at the amount of effort and work that went into so much of the beautiful <laughs> artwork of that game. There's a bunch of compiled artworks that went and hit online sites shortly after the game came out of just the monsters and the animals and the, the background details. It's a gorgeous game. It, it, it's vanillaware. It looks magnificent. That's what they do. It's just that the way that they've drawn some of the some of the women, probably most of the women. Yeah, but almost all. all. Yeah, okay. <laughs> almost all the women in that game are drawn in ways that would make Frank Frazetta go... That's a bit much. <laughs> and he's exactly who we blame for this, because every time they make a game, they go quite hard into the, uh, you know, mythological art style kind of thing. Like, a lot of the stuff in Muramasa is, mm. you know, part of the reason it works so well is because it's really, uh, you know, just going all in on that particular style. Uh, and, you know, for Dragon's Crown, they, they chose Frank Bezetta. Excuse me while I grab my bubble pipe and say, would you say it has a very consistent aesthetic? Well, within each game. Consistently big titties. <laughs> and the elf looks great. The, the sensibly elf. dressed elf looks really great. <laughs> they had a general proportion issue in that game. Um, the women are all... Hmm. I was going to say the women are all ridiculously bottom-heavy, but that sort of plays down the boobs. But even with those boobs, they are bottom-heavy, which should tell you what you need to know. Um, and the guys are, like, absurdly top-heavy. The, the knight has these tiny little pointy chicken legs. <laughs> this massive barrel chest and a teeny tiny pointy head. It's, uh, yeah, it is what it wants got, to be. But... They, they've gone extra life field. <laughs> oh, no, everything's a lot double, pointier than got... life field. They've got double life field. <laughs> and the uh, characters have working feet for the most part. Um, yeah, still lots yeah. of fun to play with uh, with friends. This is a great multiplayer party type thing. Very fun. Uh, See, I don't even know what kind of kind of game it is. All I know is titties. Oh, it's a side-scrolling beat-em-up thing. Think Golden oh. Axe. Yeah, actually, it, it's quite... Uh, it is very much like if PS3... If there was a PS3 uh, reconceived Golden Axe... Um, I'm trying to think of anything particularly remarkable about it within that context, and there's not a lot. It's a very straightforward game. Well, there is the bit where you collect the dead bodies of adventurers and you resurrect them and then they can join your party. That That is the recruiting mechanic for the game, which is quite fun. Which occasionally has... It means you have this directory of extra adventures you can co- collect. Oh, yeah, they're have... all uh, randomly created, and they all have, like, a death quote that you see when you pick up their bones. And and a quote when they're alive. Yes. The best one of which is, Panoply of flexing sounds. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the dwarves much, but I kept one because that was his character quote, and I thought that was brilliant. <clears throat> Dragon Crown's Bizarre Adventure. Because <laughs> <laughs> the NPCs are goddamn idiots, but hey. Okay, well, what you been playing? I picked up the Kickstarter Humble Bundle because I already knew that there was at least one game in that I wanted, which was Full Bore. 
which is a delightful, really hard <laughs> Metroid. Oh, no. It's a delightful, really hard exploration <laughs> platformer. He was going to use the MV word. Yeah. We were going to have to kick him out. I, you've already fired me twice. We should just start changing the M word and the V word randomly. <laughs> you notice how we don't do that for other genres of game? It's not, we, we call them platformers, not Mario Kina likes or something like that. We do for a while. Roguelike is. Yeah, Yeah. roguelike is very much a yeah. It's also an exploration genre. Yeah, well, we just don't like saying exploration, do we? Probably because there's so few games that don't have an exploration element. It's it's like uh, action or adventure; they're almost useless for classifying games. I I would argue that exploration as a core element was something that wasn't well recognized until only very recently, like the last five to ten years kind of thing. We still used it all the time, but we didn't actually get in our heads that, hang on, the act of exploring is itself fun. That's part of the problem, though. I mean, do you classify a game only by when it, uh, you know, recognizes that something is its core mechanic and tries to use that, or is it just about what it includes? Well, you know how I classify games, anyway. The... Actually, I don't. I know how you rant about how we classify <laughs> games, but I, I don't actually know what your proposed solution is. Uh, I, I use a sort of tag cloud attitude in that you can usually summarize a game by describing in a broad term how you interact with it and the sort of stuff it has in it. So, for example, a stealth action platformer or a first-person stealth game. I feel that using these as hard genres, like arguing, that's that's not really a thing, that's not really a thaw, that kind of stuff just gets you into very odd places. But broadly speaking, just giving in significant tags will usually do the business. I, I actually wrote an article this week about describing games in a short amount of time in a useful way. I'll have to go and read this, because I'm not hearing a lot of difference between your, your, what you're proposing and what we do right now, so I must be missing well, something. That, well, that was more, and you wrote that more in reference to things like inspired by Dark Souls. That's true. Bad ad copy. Just <laughs> drives me batty. I'm a little sick of seeing the word epic. Epic, I, awesome. I, Open world. Go on, Jeff. I was, uh, I, I was gonna, gonna say to, to uh, in response to your article there, was actually, you could say it, it has its purpose, it has its time and its purpose. Like, I could say that Castaway Paradise is a life simulator or an island life simulator about helping your neighbors to and helping your neighbors and um, decorating your home and your community around you but uh saying that it's like animal crossing is punchier that's true that's that's very useful in an advertising front as well certainly from you as a journalist but i'm thinking that when you're the person who creates the game when you're the person who's trying to sell people on their game from the first point if the first thing you can do in your opening sentence is to tell me about another game that i might like or know better then you're not very good at conveying what makes your game worth engaging with directly that's a personal bugbear, I, I know. Well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just thinking, like again, the the, the case of Castaway Paradise. I, if I told you all the stuff that it's like, or that it does, or I said it's Animal Crossing but on the PC, yeah, that's true. And that's it's probably also a side effect of just the sheer number of games you need to get people's mm-hmm. interest in the first couple of lines of your copy and for a lot of people the best way to do that is to remind them of a game that they like and imply that you're similar to it it's it's not a good thing it's not a good solution but i see why people do it i know why people do it <laughs> it's easy I also think that for the most part, it can usually be done better. Now, in Jeb's That's case, almost definitely true. in the case of Jeb's example, you are talking about a game that is not available on the PC being yeah. given a sort of version available in a space it's not. That definitely makes a lot of sense. I still don't think that should be the first sentence you start with. And I think that any reviewer who says this game is Animal Crossing on the PC, that is, com- I, I completely support that. Well, reviewing is different to copywriting in this case. I just feel that certainly when we're talking about Steam games, where you have a very limited amount of time to get an impression on the reader at all, I, I see a lot of awful ad copy. A lot. And I know that Jeb probably has a lot of people sending bad ad copy directly to him. Every day. And I feel that in those situations, certainly when I'm talking to indie developers, make your first sentence count. That's what that article is about. And usually what you can do to make it count more is give me a broad idea of the type of game I will be engaging with, how I'll be engaging with it, and what fantasy it lets me engage with, and why it does so in a cool way. 
that usually works better for getting me interested in a game. That's also probably more than you can fit in a first sentence, though. I politely disagree. But anyway. You can get all that into one sentence for, like, any game. The article has examples. Okay. But if you want to, uh, throw a game at me that I know. I'm not asking you to run drills on this. I'm just <laughs> surprised, because I wouldn't have thought so, really. I thought that would have to be a very long sentence. And again, this is one of those examples of a good rule, in my opinion, that can be broken once you understand it. There are plenty of games with copy that does do some of those bad things, but they don't do it because it's all they've got. There are numerous games on Steam which are being marketed as It's Like DayZ meets Minecraft because they don't have anything to describe about the game that is not 100% derivative and they can't make you care about it if you, if you weren't already looking for DayZ and Minecraft at the same time. And if you can get past that point, if you can start looking at your game as its own thing and look at why is this game fun? What about this game can be enjoyed on its own rights? What is the fantasy the player gets to indulge? Or the experience the player gets to have that they wouldn't otherwise have? Uh, Games like Dinner Date. Dinner Date is a game about getting stood up. It's still interesting. Anyway, I'm I'm now ranting when I wanted to talk about full bore, but go on. Let's, wait, I'm just, uh, I'm going to take, I'm still taking you to task a little bit on this. Yeah, go on. Does does this, you mentioned, you know, bad ad copy and stuff. A sweeping classic action-adventure game with awesome gameplay, memorable characters, and 8-bit retro aesthetic. (laughs) That tells me nothing. That could be Mega Man. Shovel Knight. Ah, I don't think Shovel Knight's ad copy sounds very good then. Hey, I have made the point, this is my opinion. I know, I just, I, like, I didn't find that particularly appealing either, but you said that tells me nothing, and I don't think that's true at all. I think that told you a lot. Okay, it told me a lot, but it didn't differentiate it. Sure, but there's, differentiating things is where you have to get into specifics. Yes. Not a thing you can really do in the first line. Your elevator pitch has to get their attention, and you don't get an attention by going into the fine details. You're right. Yeah. Why? What? I, I I suspect I'm I suspect that I'm missing something in this conversation. The the example I got for this that started me thinking about this so much was Gunpoint, where Gunpoint is a stealth platform game where you play a freelance. Ha- a freelance break and entry expert who gets to rewire the levels. That's one sentence, and that was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So when you say Shovel Knight, the main thing Shovel Knight can can say in that summary, at least like I didn't hear any specific terms that really stood out to me, is it's like other games you've played, which don't get me wrong, that's definitely one of Shovel Knight's selling points, and that it like I can't think of a single specific mechanic to that game that it's. I can't think of anything that. Now, don't get me wrong. Like I said, there are when, when you when you have this understanding of what you're trying to project. The thing is, Shovel Knight, Shovel Knight doesn't set itself apart in its mechanics. It sets itself apart in its uh, design. Go on. In its in its level design, its visual design, and its sound design are what set it apart. Yeah, fair enough. Otherwise, it's Mega Man meets Legend of Zelda two meets <laughs> Ducktales. Well, they, they they refer to like the the, the downward stab as being inspired by Zelda two. So. Oh, really? I I yes. I, I shows who hasn't played Zelda two in this room. <laughs> oh me. Anyway. So yeah, there are going to be... Go on. uh, Yeah, what you were talking about before we distracted you. No, no, it's okay. It's, you know, it it is worth discussing. Um, I don't necessarily... Like, I don't think anyone has said anything that's wrong. I don't think... Oh, no, you two are both terrible. No, it's just... um, another, Another part of this is, of course, bulk where I tend to look at ad copy like 20 to 30 games at a time. So I will often be doing very... Amateur. Well, yeah. <laughs> no one's paying me anything. <laughs> literally, you are. Yeah. <laughs> literally, you are an amateur. Yes. Yeah. You are. Well, and in your case, there's an extra incentive to, you know, you've got to find the thing you want to talk about. Whereas if I go through a te- through 20 different Steam games and go, these are all bollocks, that's it. I don't have to do anything about it. With this whole discussion, I obviously have it cast in a different light than someone who has them, for example, being sent directly to him or someone who is trying to make their first pitch. I do think that what I put forward is generally good advice, but I don't mm-hmm. think it's necessarily the only way to go. Is that a fair way to... Yeah. That being said, that being said, like, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to, to joke. It's like, oh, this is inspired by Dark Souls. This is inspired by Castlevania. Yeah. This is inspired by... Well, interestingly, this that's, is, that's... This is, inspi- this is inspired by Big Deck Mulligan. <laughs> well, interestingly, you bring up the point of a form of cultural literacy, which we'll talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> Which we accidentally almost went to our next segment. Yeah. Whoops. Uh, <laughs> Spoilers. 
I don't even know if I want to talk about full bore anymore. I just had fun with it. Uh. That's also really beautifully animated. <laughs> I mean, it's not vanillaware or anything, but that pig moves like smooth. Yeah. I've never even heard of full bore. Please talk about it. Okay, full bore is kind of an exploration-based platformer, but not of your runny, jumpy, climby kind of platformer. You Well, you can climb. But you can only climb uh-huh. one brick at a time. It's very much grid puzzle based. Lots of pushing, shoving, digging bricks. Certain bricks of different density. Bricks that regrow. You have the batteries. Time... Hmm? Sorry. Go on. I, I thought you were signaling that you were stopping so I could ask a question. No, no. You have batteries that you can push into lasers and the lasers bore holes. You can push lasers into other things. There is a deep mine full of sentient talking pigs overseen by a larger waistcoat-wearing, monocle-wearing, waistcoated, uh, 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 sentient-talking pig. He's in the 1%. Yeah, well, you are basically... The game kicks off with you waking up in a field, chasing a butterfly, falling down an enormous hole, coming up and finding yourself in a, like, vault, with, like, an an honest-to-God door and everything, and find the big boss pig, who is really annoyed at you for making the vault empty, which you didn't do. So now you're on the hook to earn off your debt, as you slowly find... Find strange pre capitalist pig. <laughs> you find strange pre pre pig civilization <laughs> notes throughout the mine. Large devices that the pigs don't quite understand, and cultist pigs wearing strange, elaborate skull masks. Is it? Hang on. Is, is this like a you know vault like fallout? Like is this this uh, what would you say post apocalyptic? <laughs> Post-apocalyptic. I think post-apocalyptic is even better. <laughs> oh, oh, is that what you said? Yeah. I missed it. <laughs> Sorry. Accents always not, not, this kind of thing. I, was, I wasn't sure what, if you actually were making a joke there or, or you were going to say something like post-apocalyptic. <laughs> and weirdly, the game is really shy on pig puns. <laughs> Except for the title. Yeah. But it's also about digging a hole, so... Am I remembering correctly that this is like a, a race puzzle exploration kind of thing like are you time limited or no in fact you have a rewind mechanic which in block puzzlers i did not realize i wanted so badly (laughs) it's such the best thing it's just the best thing yeah like we there's a there's a technological arc you can look at with games with no saves and then you get to the second step of games with save points and then you get to the games where you can save anywhere and the games you can have unlimited saves where you save anywhere and like this is the next step of the just rewind to the point you want to which is just so so nice um it's very failure speaking one of the one one of the frustrating things about hack and slash ah was block puzzles you can't rewind ah can you reset them at least (laughs) yeah if you check around yeah it's a it is a um I think my big problem with full bore at the moment is it's big. It is unmanageably big for me. I so it's going whole hog. Yeah, absolutely. There, there is um. So hogging all your time. There's not a lot of fat on this game. Uh, that that's not meant to be a pun, by the way. I'm leaving the puns to these two. <laughs> I, I'm leaving the puns to these two barbarians. Uh, no, I I genuinely. Well, when you render it down into what was the experience like. I find the game, in its tighter, more linear moments of, like, we need you to go drop the samiflange off at the drill, that I found a relief. I'm at this point where the game has opened up, and there are all these puzzle rooms where I am completely clueless as to what the fuck I'm meant to be doing. There are gems, and I'm collecting gems. Have I collected enough gems? Am I in the right place? Will I get more abilities that will let me do more stuff later? Am, Am I just too thick to work out how this puzzle works, or am I missing a piece? Which is kind of a good thing. Because it indicates that this game is big enough that it's leaving me with questions. Yeah, but you can't leave players with too many of that kind of question. It sounds like you literally don't know what's expected of you right now. Yeah, I'm kind of flailing. Yeah, and that's a problem when it gets to that level. It's good to make players, you know, work to to think about what they need to do, but, you know, it's it's also a dangerous curve. You can't get too far to one end of it or you're in trouble. It's, uh... 20 I'm about 25% of the way through the game and I feel completely lost. Again, not a terrible thing. I do quite enjoy opening it up, poking around, looking at a room. Do I get that gem? Oh, I got that gem. Cool. Moving on. Uh, but broadly speaking, it is a game that dizzies me 
with its scope. Especially because there are things I did not even realize I could interact with that I'm interacting with. Uh, I, I randomly at one point thumped the ground just because I thought the animation was cute and I watched as a little tingle of sparkles oh. on a wall react and they're like, oh, oh, well, I, suddenly I'm following that. Oh. Exploration often works best when there is a feeling of genuine curiosity. Full Bore still has that for me. I'm hoping I won't get so overwhelmed by it I don't finish it. Also, Star Realms on the PC, which is like the exact opposite end of that, which is a game I boot up so that a computer can kick me in the head periodically. <laughs> I'm so bad at that game. Hey, uh, that's interesting. Usually you win deck building games in physical space. Yeah. I don't know why. Star Realms is hard? Star Realms is just a game that's better. better it, Star Realms is better at playing Star Realms than I am at playing Star Realms. <laughs> Anyway, hey Jeb, what about you? What have you been playing? Well, I got a ch- I finally got a chance to play Kings of Blood. The whole point of this podcast exactly. is leading up to get him to say that word. That's exactly the reason why we decided to, to mention it. <laughs> is how do you say quud? <laughs> However you want to. <laughs> I never asked them, so I don't know. Uh, it's a it's it's a roguelike. It's a roguelike that's like rogue. <laughs> it's a it's a sci-fi uh, kind of low tech turn-based role-playing game with ASCII-inspired art that uh, you can do anything that you can conceive that can come to mind. Um, I wound up equipping a couple corpses as a throwing item so that I could throw them at my enemies because they were close. Wow. That's not a mechanic that gets used a lot, is it? No. (laughs) I enjoy that level of freedom. It brings to mind Neo Scavenger. Mm-hmm. You throw corpses in yeah. your scavenger. No, but that same level of of uh, breadth of detail. Nah. You could carry corpses around in the scavenger if you choose. <laughs> Did you catch diseases off of them? Uh, I don't. I haven't played a build of it in a long time. In fact, I don't even. I don't even think I own it anymore because Desura. Hey. Desura kind of bad things happened with it. Oh. Yeah. Gotta remember, I don't hear the news. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Desura stopped paying devs. Oh, holy fuck. And uh, one day, yeah. in order to discourage people from buying the game on Desera, was allowed to change their price. So Desera has one game, which is priced at nine million nine hundred nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine euro. <laughs> oh, the uh, VAT on that would be a killer. <laughs> well, no, because they wouldn't get paid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and the VAT would extra much be a killer. But yeah, C- Caves of Quid is. It, it last year there's a free ASCII version of it? The, the ASCII version is a free download off Freehold's site. Now, Freehold are the people who made Sproggy Wood. Yes. So you know how good they are at this. Yes. They, they were so good at roguelike generation, you didn't think they did roguelike generation. <laughs> the, the the procedural generation for the maps in Sproggy Wood is so, so good, I thought it was handmade. Wow. Yeah. That's a pretty good recommendation. To the point where we got into a conversation about it on Twitter, and one of the devs was like, um, no, no, it, they're, they're, they're procedurally generated. <laughs> it was really cute, because it was really kind of... I, sorry. It's like, oh, no, it is. What? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Brian, I didn't know that. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. And what about the other game you've been playing? I have... Uh, on, the, the, on, the X- on the Xbox One, there is currently a uh, sale on... Uh, Bandai Namco or Namco Bandai or Banco Damdai or whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, their titles, which there's only two, and I already own Dragon Ball Xenoverse. <laughs> so I picked up Dark Souls 2 Scholar of the First Sin, and I've been playing that the past couple days. Uh-huh. As a purple haired cleric lady <laughs> who fights the only way I know how, she has a big fuck off hammer. Hey! She has a mace right now. Well, she starts with a mace. The cleric starts with a mace, so. A mace and a big fluffy cloak. Nice. And how are you finding it? Uh, the, the thing is, Dark Souls Two moves really nice. Like the animations are a lot less, a lot less janky than Dark Souls One, <laughs> and everything just has feels a bit more alive than Dark Souls One. Nah. Like in a but the, alive the system, but, but the systems in it, uh, they aren't. Quite, I'm not quite getting them. So I just find myself. It's like, oh, I accidentally I. I let my guard down for a second, and I got attacked once, and now I'm stunlocked, and I'm dead. Yeah. The, the Dark, Dark Souls 1 presented its systems a lot better than Dark Souls 2 does. Wow. <laughs> was Dark, Souls 1, Dark Souls 1 has a button you can press that tells you literally everything about the system. 
but nobody ever presses the help button in video games. <laughs> the help button? <laughs> nobody, nobody, no one ever, ever consults help. I just help on constantly in Fire Emblem. It's one of my favorite things about that series. I remember that the extra credits uh, side quest on Dark Souls has them at one point pull up the help text for resistance, and it was increases your and the help text was this stat increases your resistance. <laughs> Have you seen the luck increases <laughs> increases your increases your resistances? That's right. Which, if they'd have bothered to go press the right button on the direction of that, they would have found the different resistances, but they didn't do that. Oh, no. Go on, Talon. Have you seen the luck tip? No. It is affects various things. <laughs> affects various things is my OKCupid profile name. <laughs> Disclaimer, not sure if I got the exact wording right, and Jeb is probably sitting there wanting to correct me right now. He doesn't get to correct me. a luck stat? <laughs> <laughs> See, Wait, what, what game are we talking about? <laughs> Jeb's playing a cleric. He's better good than lucky. <laughs> cleric has, is good at two things. Strength and faith. <laughs> Works for me. Yeah, I've only but ever played is... characters where faith was the dump stats. <laughs> <laughs> do, 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 do. Faith is a good stat. It helps you make heals and also lightning. That's, lightning is a good thing. That's all well and good for people who want to make heals and lightning. I mostly want to make hammer, which is, you know, not, not a faith-based initiative. <laughs> Well, in, in Dark Souls, in Dark Souls Two, the the class that you want probably want to take if you're going to hit things really hard with a hammer is cleric. It has one of the highest starting strengths. Nice. Uh, it doesn't take long to outpace the starting stats, though. All that all that time in the monastery pumping iron. I'm now, I'm now seeing like a a, a a cloister full of clerics. There's basically just a gym full of Valkyrie ladies. Oh, you were imagining ladies, right? I'm, I'm seeing those wrestlers we were talking about before. <laughs> it's just JoJo's Bizarre Adventure in oh, a church. Oh, <laughs> God. Imagine, you know, if you combine Priest with, with, you know, WWE character. You don't know about Power Team? No. <laughs> okay. Is this already Out, a thing? Off the podcast, I'll tell you about Power Team. Okay, I'm just imagining someone basically delivering a sermon as a wrestler, which, you know, they sort of lend themselves to each other fairly easily, actually. And the macho priest Randy Savage is here to tell you. I was going to say, this is a bit of a done thing for Jeb, isn't it? I mean, how how do do you think we, why do you think we record on a Saturday? (laughs) Tomorrow Uh, I had to go down to Madison Square Garden. Oh, yeah, brother. <laughs> oh, that's right. Other people's religions went to church on Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> I forget this. It was never Sunday for us. Yep. Uh, I believe Premi's in the same boat as you on that one. All right. That said, you do bring up an interesting conversation with this whole obscurity of stats, the explanation of systems, the help button. Like, the fact that no one presses the help button. I didn't know there was a help Nobody. button. I didn't Nobody. Nobody presses help the help button. Press the help button. I thought the help button. The help button tight. in Dark Souls One is Y if you're using an Xbox, or Triangle if you're using a if you're using a, a, a PS3 controller. Uh, the help button for me, I was just assuming would be send a tweet to Holiday. <laughs> that's <laughs> a good. Really a that's a really good help button too. If you're playing on PC, you can make a bind maybe. <laughs> but yeah, um, the that I, would be an excellent thing to put in a game. Just like a bind to tweet at someone. A bind to like pull in the Twitter API and just. Um, the Secret World has an in-game browser that can access Twitter. That's very clever. I like this idea. I've always wanted there. Every time they make a modern MMO, I'm sitting there going, "You, there needs to be like an in-universe wiki, even a fantasy one." Like I always wanted, thinking how cool it would be if all the you know little bits of lore and information and whatnot that you get in, say WoW or whatever, you know how they profile all the raid and dungeon bosses eventually. Yeah, the dungeon journal. How cool would it have been if that had been like a user submitted thing? Where, like, the first person to submit a, you know, reasonable, obviously, oh, okay. not, not just a cox cox. Because I was going to say, this is World well, 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 of Warcraft. It would eventually become just pictures of dicks. Yeah. Sticks all the way down is my OKCupid okay profile name. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, and then you build an in world, you, uh, what's the word? Resource. That's not the word I was looking for, but like a library, like a, you know, repository of this information that could actually be credited to the in-universe identities of whoever was the first person to submit it, and it'd be lovely! In The Secret World, one of the central conceits is that you are a character wandering around with a very powerful smartphone. Yes! So, at all times, you, because you have a smartphone, 
you have access to a browser and the game is expecting at certain points, you're going to hit a brick wall and your only response will be, I'm going to Google it. And Pokemon, fucking Pokemon. For every generation, there's always going to be Pokemon information instantly available online. (laughs) You could actually let people access this stuff in the game. And like, you know, instead of having this weird thing where everyone has to fill out their own Pokedex because it doesn't count unless you find it out personally. (laughs) Like, get the the records and shit from whoever caught it first. And uh, it's just this opportunity for... Having having Nintendo responsible for for an internet service <laughs> like that I know. is asking a lot. <laughs> okay, point taken. But they would also be the best people to moderate this kind of thing because they actually give a shit about moderating the online accessible stuff they have. For three years, I worked in the dick mines. I want to know how to become a, a you know dick pic weeder because <laughs> right, that that's my OKCupid okay profile thing. <laughs> Because, you know, I don't mind seeing a picture of a cock. I think that's quite funny. Uh, you know, I could do that job. I don't want to be the person yeah. who has to weed out, you know, violence and pornography from YouTube. That's a different thing entirely. But just the me-verse posts and going, nope, <laughs> yeah. nope, Everyone nope. who's thought they'll be the first person to think of the hilarious idea of drawing a cock with their gamepad. <laughs> plus you can say, plus you get you an opportunity, well, that's a pretty good cock. <laughs> no, no. Nice car. I was but, a little uh, afraid there's a TOS, so sorry. <laughs> I appreciate your cock skills. I'm now imagining how creeped out people would be if the letter they got <laughs> about their offensive content wasn't wasn't someone saying, you know, just a form letter of "I'm sorry, your your content has been marked offensive," but it was actually, yeah, I really liked it. That was an okay nice drawing, cock. but I didn't think you paid enough attention to the foreskin. You should probably work on that. I saved it. <laughs> And deleted it from the servers, but kept it for my personal collection. Yes. These are the cocks I have torn off the Miiverse. Nah! Don't say torn off cock. I'm a squid now, I'm a cock now. <laughs> anyway. So, anyway, yeah. I came into this podcast this week with a plan. And that plan has just been shot to fucking pieces. When will you ever learn? <laughs> <laughs> was always there. It's not our fault if you didn't press it. God damn so much. (laughs) Um, Well, I was was thinking about visual novels and certain just awful, awful, awful video games. Speaking of dicks. And I got thinking... I wonder, listener, if you've worked out what Talon's talking about yet. I hate that fucking game so fucking much. Oh. Fuck. Anyway, uh, I was thinking about games that inform you of a certain consequential result of what you're going to do. And when in university, in classes at one point, we got to talking about... This thing would come up fairly regularly, where I would watch a relatively young person who's played a lot of video games making fun of how a completely inexperienced person played a video game. Uh, Specifically, it was a student talking about watching his grandmother try and play Mario. That's just not nice. Yeah, it it wasn't nice. One of the things he said is she doesn't even know that when you push... Like, you'll see her push down a button and she'll jump, but then she won't know what to push down to jump again. And like, that right there, what you're talking about there is like the most basic, hard-coded, ludic literacy. You're talking about understanding the language the game uses to communicate with you. Because even the most basic idea of if you push that button, it does a thing, and if you push that button, it will do the same thing again, that... That is something you do have to learn. It's a fairly simple precept, but it is so internalized, so deeply internalized, that we wound up assuming it was given knowledge. I have to admit, that's a a level of unfamiliarity I wouldn't have considered did exist. Yeah. I, I can't imagine how you don't make the connection between controllers controlling things. But... The, consider as well that the uh, that you're talking about people who are watching the screen and they're shifting their focus from screen to hand, screen to hand. So they're not even at the point where they've internalized the structure of the controller. They don't even know, did I push this button to jump or did I push that button to jump? I can't remember yet. To me, internalizing the controller, like not needing to look at it, is definitely a later step than yeah. this button does X. Like once I've worked out this button does X, I know that this button does X. And it can be further complicated by the... Uh, like context sensitive controls which is sometimes button x doesn't do x and certainly if it's when you're first times playing games that can really mess you up so that that that's like the lowest level of ludic literacy and there's what, a- is, what does action button even mean colonel <laughs> does actions yeah and push the action button 
there's a there's uh, a similar thing what you mentioned is uh, just how weird it is. Uh, have you ever played like a, a platformer where the jump button was B? Uh, for me, that's a really common thing because, of course, I'm so used to using keyboards. Mm-hmm. So when I move to a controller at all, like any PlayStation game where they flash up any of the symbols, I'm like, oh shit, what button is that I'm pushing? Yeah, I, I still have that problem actually. And for what it's worth, I don't know if I've ever played a platform where the jump button was B because I don't notice which button it is. I just notice where it is. It's A. <laughs> it's Statistically, always A. it's probably almost always A. I remember that there was a big fuss about the remake of Bionic Commando where it didn't have the buttons behave as they would have on a NES, and there was actually a fuss about it. Which buttons were in Freedom Planet? I don't know. Because I played a lot of Sonic, but Freedom Planet fucked me up by having two separate <laughs> buttons. Yeah. Like that... Oh yeah, Sonic only had one button. Completely did... Well, yeah, this is why I'm thinking I don't know which button's for jump, because the, the bulk of the platformers I played, there was only one button! Yeah. <laughs> what is this? How many ones did you have on your NES controllers? Jesus Christ, what are all those for? <laughs> what the hell is... What, what even is a B button? <laughs> <laughs> it's the thing you hold down to run. What even X? What? what? Hold down a button for... That's what forward is for! And there, right there, you're seeing this whole extra layer of very, very primal ludic yeah. language. Now, stepping up away from that, that base level stuff of how controllers work, how mice work, how keyboards work, games do have... How magnets work. The idea that some games, sometimes whole genres of games, have an element of how they play that once you're used to it, you don't even notice it's there. It becomes an expected component. Um, In almost every Nintendo platformer, holding down the jump button will change the arc of the jump. There are no fixed jump sizes. Uh, That's... That's something that is tr- that not only is true in Nintendo platformers, but they've been able to keep that true even when they've gone from multiple engines to multiple different... Like, they went from 2D to 3D to another different kind of 3D. And they still managed to keep it so that the jump felt pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. We have this level of ludic language. Ludic, in this case, deriving from the Latin meaning games. It's the academic term we use when describing how games work. Uh, it, it's one of those root terms of ludonarrative dissonance, which is just... Yeah, yeah, come yeah. on. With ludic literacy, can you think of any games you've played which have required you to basically learn their language all over again? There's one that we... Learn, learn the language of the game? Well, learn the language of that particular game. Um, Like, not just a game in a genre. Like Dark Souls? That's, that is the big one. <laughs> that is the one that I right now think is kind of like the iconic example of a, a, a new ludic language. It wants you to learn how to play Dark Souls. It doesn't think that, oh, you've played Castlevania, you've played... um. You've played Prince of Persia. You're pretty much going to be clued on how to play this game. Like, no. you Dark Souls wants you to play Dark Souls as Dark Souls. Isn't that pretty much the same as just saying that it's mechanically distinct from anything that might seem superficially similar to it? Well, yeah, you can say it like that if you want. Um, but Dark Souls games do build on one another. And as you learn, as you become more internalized in how Dark Souls works, it's very easy to use that knowledge preemptively. It's pretty much how sequels go, though. True. Actually, you know what? Ocarina of Time. Um, I don't know if other people had the same experience with it, um, but it was pretty much the first 3D game I played, and it was the first Zelda I played, and the idea of not having a jump button totally threw me for a loop the first time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and you know, com- further complicated by the fact that you can do several jump maneuvers when you're in combat, which only happens when you're, you know, locked on to a target. Yeah. Uh, in which case, the other more different button now does that. And, yeah, you know, that's, that's pretty much a game that required me to learn an entirely new control scheme. It might have just been because I was moving into 3D for the first time, but uh, as I understand it, the Zelda games pretty much do do innovative interfaces every time there's like a major shift in the series. Yeah. Like they have quite a strong focus on working out control schemes. At least this is what I've heard from people who've talked about this kind of thing. Because as I said, this is my first experience with it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's always felt with me that when you played one 3D, when you played Ocarina of Time, you played literally every other 3D Zelda. Oh, definitely. Until you get a Skyward Sword, at least. <laughs> then you have to do motion controls. Yeah. Yeah. Which are their own thorny bundle. Well, that's what I mean by major iterations. Like, 
<laughs> obviously, there was precious little change between the the three GameCube Zelda, but between the N sixty four and the two GameCube Zeldas, the two and a half GameCube Zeldas. Uh, it is a controversial opinion, but I believe Twilight Princess is vastly superior on the GameCube. And that's just me. They got his hand right. Yes, yes. God damn it. We have so few left-handed hero characters. I know it's not like a major discrimination issue necessarily, but it's just a really annoying thing that, you know, fuck it, why not? It's, it doesn't make a goddamn difference. Until you get into motion controls, which, you know, I understand why they swapped it, even if I think they're weak. <laughs> well, anyway, the, the, the idea of, like, the thing, with, the thing with left-handed characters is kids are cruel. Kids will find anything to bully other kids for. And a left-handed kid is going to get made fun of for that if kids want to make fun of them. Fair. So if that kid has one thing, if they like, you know, well, sure, I'm left-handed. Sure, the kids at school make fun of me for it, but Link's left-handed. That's yeah. a good enough reason for Link to be left-handed to me. Well, you don't need a reason for diversity. Like, it, it is its own reason. It is a goal. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's part of why. Because... People should see representation. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, another another area of ludic literacy that I stumbled really backwards into was JRPGs, especially menu-based combat JRPGs. There is an astounding amount of common behavior across multiple developers' platforms. Yeah. Sorry, multiple developers, multiple platforms of the category we just generally call JRPG. Because, which... like, Dragon Quest did a thing and then Final Fantasy copied it and then everyone copied Final Fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, um, that meant that there was a time there when you were a, when, well, when, I, when, if, if you were a SNES player or if you, like me, years later were a thieving ROM, <laughs> thi- were, were, were a thieving ROM user, where there were dozens and dozens of games where all that really changed from your most superficial perspective of it were the characters and the setting. Of course, systemically, they were all really wildly different under the hood. But so much of that structure of this is how you do a JRPG. We used to make jokes about, you know, every JRPG is about killing God. Well, actually, really, there's only one franchise that does that with any kind of regularity. And it's sort of their thing. Atelier. Uh, yeah, Atelier lets you go kill God-level things. Shin Megami Tensei. God specifically. Persona. Yeah, I was thinking of the SMT franchise, where explicitly hunting down and killing God was the thing. Yeah, but I mean, that's what you're doing in Final Fantasies as well. Yeah. They just don't say it's God, it's just, oh no, it's this tree full of Satans. (laughs) To to be fair... Isn't a tree full of Satans almost the opposite of God? (laughs) (laughs) We put a whole bunch of demons in this tree and we're surprised when it turned into an asshole. That is a stolen joke. It's the best <laughs> plot ever. I stole that joke from Kuno. It's a really good joke. Yeah, it's also an accurate know. summary of the blood of Final Fantasy yeah, Five. You should have him underwrite this show sometimes. <laughs> the well, he, he's one of the reasons. Sorry, we're ghostwrite. Be... That's the wrong word. Underwrite is like financial, isn't it? That's oh, not yeah. what I meant. No, we. Yeah, he's gonna. He, he's actually one of the reasons we want to talk about sequence breaking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so the the idea of JRPGs having this big common language, and that's wound up being useful because it means that when a whole bunch of new wave developers are coming up with simplified tools, we have like this new blossoming era of extra JRPGs because there's already an existing language for how you design them. Um, since you remind me of it by mentioning RPGs, I've talked before on the podcast about when I first played Ultima 8, which yep. was the first RPG I'd mm. encountered, and at that point I didn't understand leveling up. Ah. I only played platformers and whatnot. Yeah. So the idea that I wasn't supposed to be able to fight this thing yet, I thought that was just a skill gap. I didn't realize I was just too low a level. And yeah, you know, there's no reason that couldn't happen to a person and today, if it, you know, as long as it was their first encounter with a leveling up kind of, well, I guess a shit ton of games have leveling up elements it's, in them it's now, to say, Especially yeah. since now everything has an upgraded level up system. <laughs> I, I love that technically you can argue that uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 2 is an RPG. <laughs> it's easy to argue that something is an RPG. Well, I guess the whole med- messy area of what a game is. Um, another, another game I remember which had a very specific ludic language, Hotline Miami. Yeah. Uh, and not only is Hotline Miami a really specific system of play, but it's a system that's very hard to convey. With Dark Souls, because Dark Souls' whole style is very patient, very deliberate, you can kind of explain bit by bit, hey, try and pay attention to the way your enemies are animating, make sure you pay attention to where you exist in the world, that sort of stuff. That's all useful. Look up. Look up. Yeah, always look up. That stuff is not... (laughs) Portal had to teach to look up. Yeah. 
that stuff isn't necessarily um, bad, but sorry, that, that that stuff is a different style. But because it's patient, because it's slow, you can dismantle it and talk about it and teach about it. Hotline Miami, one of the only t- tips the game can give you is be reckless. Because there is this <laughs> under system under the game, which is effectively going, are you being reckless enough? Okay, you got missed. Oh, good grief. I want that in Dark Souls. That would go really well with my dual axe wielding no bow bandit. Yeah, and and this is this this is part of the uh, of Hotline Miami's entire system where it can't really tell you <laughs> how it's working or what it's doing. But there are so many systems, there are so many moments where it's just like, I'll plan out my map that won't work. I'll plan out a different map that won't work. I'll plan out this other thing that didn't work. At this, like, seven iterations past, you're just deep... Fuck it, YOLO. Yeah, fuck it. (laughs) And you charge in, and you throw that, and you chuck that, and you hit that, and you beat that guy, and then it's like, oh, 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 that worked. That's actually really cool. It's amazing that the game does it that well. And by the way, Hotline Miami 2 doesn't do it as well. Mm. Hotline Miami 2 uses... often something that can't be recaptured in sequels very effectively, I think. Hotline Miami 2 makes bigger maps, which means those little outbursts Ah. are less likely to work. You start thinking about it before the map is over? Well, also, it's just like, if if you have an outrageous outburst of energy and just good luck and reflexes and it all works and you kill 12 things, that's really cool. When you then have to kill 12 things and then, oh, there's another four things on the other side of the map that weren't involved because the map's just bigger. Yeah, yeah. Now suddenly you need to deal with those four and if you don't deal with them, you've got to redo your your little outburst and it it doesn't work, it doesn't flow. Not that I'm saying Hotline Miami 2 is necessarily a worse game, I've not played it, but Hotline Miami 1 does an amazing job with that language and it has to be communicated unconsciously. So yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, another, Another game I've not played myself but I know has a ludic language is hex cells mm-hmm. well hex cells manages to tell you pretty early on that it's fair mm-hmm. um jeb jeb has spoken much more eloquently than i on hex cells but a lot of puzzle games especially small puzzle games which are made by indie studios tend to have this quiet air of muddiness to them a lot of them have semi-random generation in them uh, your fail and restart style mechanics, whereas Hex Cells, hypothetically, every level... Now, I don't know if this is completely true, because this is just the impression it gave, but Hex Cells, you can start every level of Hex Cells and finish it the first time. Yes. And you don't need to guess. Uh, Hex Cells requires absolutely no guessing. I know, because I have finished every puzzle with Hex Cells without guessing. Yeah. And... It's probably something I would understand better if I had more of an awareness of any of this game's mechanics, but... Yeah. It, it's, I understand what you're proposing. You've you've played Minesweeper, right? Yeah. There are multiple configurations. It's like that, but good. Yeah, there are multiple configurations <laughs> of Minesweeper where there is no way for you to know the right choice. You're presented uh, well, with a Minesweeper, you have to start by guessing. Yeah. Yeah. That's another good point. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, Minesweeper is a game where there are numerous states, numerous configurations of the board, where it's just flat out impossible for you to know the correct move. Whereas Hex Cells very deliberately tells you, you can make a mistake, but you can get it right. As long as you're paying attention to all the information it's giving you, you yeah. have what you need to make. Hex Cells, Hex Cells always gives you enough information to start, and once you've started, it always gives you enough information to continue. And as you play hex cells, you begin to notice patterns and how the the uh, <clears throat> the clues you're given and the arrangement of the hexes on the board, how they interact with each other. You'll know it, like when you see um, anything I say here is not going to make sense to anyone who's not. Played it. <laughs> if if when you see a certain or a certain number show up, it's like okay, this number in this situation looks like this arrangement of cells. So I know this, this, and this are all. Are, are all to be checked off. I actually can totally understand that. Um, <coughs> it reminds me of something, but I don't remember what. Yeah. Minesweeper. <laughs> but good. No, no, the idea that um, when you get information about a number, you recognize a pattern mm-hmm. of, of how that number would be laid out in the circumstances. I can't remember where I've seen this before, and now it's really bugging me. But yeah, I totally understand what you're talking about. Yeah. And and since Hexels never directly, te- never never once tells you um, how these particular these particular uh, patterns what these patterns are, but it relies so much on them, you have to pick that up for yourself, and it's extremely satisfying when it works. Uh, listener, if you like puzzle games, Excel's the entire series periodically goes on sale on Steam for dirt cheap. Nice. They are the best. Pure puzzle games I have ever played. Wow. 
Bar none. Yeah. And part of that is that high attention to very deep ludic literacy. You were talking about visual novels when we started this discussion, weren't you? Yeah. This is interesting because actually one of the other places I can think of this is a visual novel I was working on, where I did something a little different. I wanted to make it really about investigating the text. So instead of having menu-based conversation, what I had was you could click on a word in another character's dialogue to lead to a, a new, you know, branch of dialogue. Yeah. Um... And, you know, that that was a new mechanic, so I realized that was going to be hard for people to notice because they're not used to paying that level of attention to the, the text in a visual novel. Um, but what really tripped people up was anyone who wasn't familiar with uh, English language visual novels in particular often didn't realize that you could backtrack through text. Mm. So I had people who would play through this and not notice the branches and not realize that they could go back and check for them. Um, which made it, uh, like, a worthless game <laughs> at that point. And it was, uh, you know, I'd, I'd planned for this one thing that was going to be a departure from the norm, but I didn't realize there was this other thing that people totally had no awareness of existing that completely ruined it. I the, One of the worst stories I've heard in this regard was a Witcher-style RPG, which never got out of development like this, but they brought in a playtester to, to examine the game, mm-hmm. and the playtester wanted to open their inventory. Tried all the buttons, tried every single thing they could, couldn't find the inventory. Turns ah. out to do it, you had to middle click on your character. Some masters don't even have a middle click. My my gut reaction was, what Martian divine designed yeah, that? That's, uh... <laughs> and now it's time for Retro Gaming News. All the news is fit to print for the month of July, 2008. Brought to you by Nintendo.tumblr.com, your fan source of official authorized Starbucks pornography. 2008, a year made of four numbers. Ah, the summer of love. Really, it's only made of three numbers. <laughs> she got me there. Heck, technically, if you lay the eight on its side, it's made of two numbers. Or all the numbers. If well, you lay the eight on its side, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right, infinity's done, not a number. We? Moving on. Yeah, so, but it sort of contains all the numbers in a way of speaking, and also in a way as it number as zero because is because infinity exists purely to fuck with you. Infinity does exist to fuck with you. All right. Have you noticed that mass hates humans? This is this is actually a really good year for numbers. In fact, oh, because thank God, sequels. Oh, this... nine, nine, nine. No, 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 no. We're going we're to start with the two odd ones out in this, in that they're not number four. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> two odd ones, I got that. Well, number jokes. These are, these are the uh, games that aren't number four in their personal series. Don't worry, we'll have That's even more number time. jokes as we go. <laughs> first things first, it's a franchise. Stay positive, game. everyone. Oh, wait, they're all something with a number on the end. Oh, God. Uh, oh, do you mind the downloadable concept podcast? Your number one source for the finest number quality jokes. number jokes. Why does anybody want number jokes? What's wrong with you people? It's our, it's our brand. <laughs> All right. That's our brand. <laughs> the little musical cue plays out. Okay, so we have a genre-defining JRPG. What is the number on it? It's 2008. I'm not going to tell you. Is it 13? Nope. No. It's 13. Nope, 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 nope. No? Nope. Is it the original release of 14? No, it's... You're thinking bigger. Think small. Think handheld. Final Fantasy 4 on the DS. You are close... You're on the right platform, wrong franchise, wrong number. Dragon Quest uh, V. Dragon Quest V on the DS. Ah, that kind of genre defining. <laughs> yeah. I feel bad about never having known Dragon Quest until about 2008. Because, <laughs> you know, obviously it's responsible for most of this Dragon shit. Dragon Quest IV is one of the best games ever made. <laughs> I know. It does really cool things with the formula of Japanese role-playing games. I have this really unfortunate hang-up about Akira Toriyama's art in that I hate it. <laughs> I know, I'm bad. <laughs> it probably is. People should listen to Jeb on that, definitely. Yeah, I, I intend to go back. All right, we have another game that's on the DS. It's also on the Wii, but this version's on the DS. It's not 4, right? And it's not a 4. It's a fairly innovative visual novel gameplay mashup in that there is a visual novel element of the game, and then there are... Is it game- Virtual's Last Reward? No, no. It's uh, not 999? Not 9999, no. Uh, is it a Phoenix Wright? It's not a Phoenix Wright, but you, you side note, Wait, this, is, also... this is a really good also... set of games to have started talking about, yeah. <laughs> uh, it is a sequel, and it uses the unique interface of the DS, specifically. Yeah, they all do in some way or another these days. I guess. Is it an Animal Crossing? No, 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 Animal Crossing. It was designed for the, the DS controls. Ah. <sighs> 
as opposed to, hey, let's add a segment that uses the DS controls. I really should know what this is. Yeah, you should. You've uh, played it. Yeah. Phoenix rate something or other? I'm good at visual novel mashups. Uh, it, it is... It allows you to occasionally use the power of Satan. <laughs> this is uh, Trauma Center? Trauma Center 2. Hmm, I would not have called that a visual Trauma novel Center has, Trauma Center has Satans? Trauma Center has Satans. The so thing... That's like your core character ability. You can slow down time by drawing a pentagram. An inverted pentagram. It's clearly the power of Satan. <laughs> it flashes red and it, it chants yeah. in a low voice. Do you think I was making fun of you? I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> Probably a tree full of Satans. Yes. Tra- trauma Center. Tree full of Satans is my okay, <laughs> profile name. That's weird. It's my Christian mingle name. <laughs> all right, then. So, that's all the th- that's the non-fours out of the way. Yeah, I, uh, I wouldn't say that Trauma Center has visual novel elements more than any other game that has just 2D cutscenes with characters talking at each other. Yeah, if you like, want to. If it does, then Fire Emblem does, and... and... Uh, you know, Megaten does, and uh, I, d- I don't know if I'd go that far. Okay. So, anyway, there is a fight game on this list. It's a four. It's a four. Street Fighter 4? Street Fighter 4. No. Think worse. How much worse? Anything Soul else. Soul Calibur 4. Soul Calibur 4! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Literally every other fighting game. <laughs> I missed the Dreamcast Soul Calibur <laughs> Remember when, Dream- Remember when the Dreamcast Soul Calibur came out and we looked at Maxi and we thought, wow, that dude looks a bit silly, but he's okay. <laughs> he- he's pushing it a bit, but you know, whatever. Hey, listener, funny story. I may have just fat-fingered the record button. Talon, you're fired. <laughs> so, uh, just to keep you up to date, we did the rest of Retro Gaming News. It was, it was fascinating and hilarious. It wasn't Loom. Would you believe it? It wasn't Loom. There was more interaction with our dog in the background that I, of course, edited out, and so you don't know what's there. Talon was uh, wrong about some games? Yeah, yep, definitely wrong about some games. And Joe corrected us all? A couple of times. And I I just yelled the names of random retro games I could remember until I got it right, eventually. Also, we got a fairly uh, interesting bit of insight into a older game that Jeb deeply loved that we didn't, you know, know about beforehand because we're console philistines. Oh, actually, and legitimately, what really did happen is <laughs> Dragon Quest Four got brought up and Jeb told us some really interesting things about that that I'd really like for him to recontribute at this point. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, were you talking? I was playing Luke. <laughs> hey, Jeb, uh, tell us a bit about Dragon Quest Four. <laughs> Uh, Dragon Quest IV is a is a uh, JRPG that uh, goes a bit against uh, the traditions, even at the time where each uh, major character had their own chapter and story arc, and the the story and the gameplay itself was motivated by those characters' motivations. Like my favorite example is the character Taloon, who is a merchant who is just trying to feed his family, so he goes adventuring and he goes into the dungeons and he brings back all the cool weapons and armors and it's like I could use this to go back into the dungeons and get more stuff or I could sell this and get the fact stacks of cash I need <laughs> I am very much reminded of Reketeer or rather Reketeer is very much reminded of this I guess I, I would have to assume that Reketeer is inspired by that chapter and then of course it all combines together at the end and you know, you can combine, you know, your merchant and your princess and your, uh, all the other people that are in Dragon Quest IV. The, the combinant JRPG was kind of a thing around that time, wasn't it? Like, you had, you had a whole bunch of different games which would try swap things up. Like, Final Fantasy VI did it as well, just not nearly as varied. Well, this is also, you know, a, a console generation before. Yeah. <laughs> the, the SNES did that a lot, uh, Squaresoft did it a lot in the SNES with Final Fantasy IV, VI, V. Live Alive. Uh, live Alive, yeah. Which I learned is not the prequel to Love Life. I I have had <laughs> that cleared up for me now. Uh, the Final Fantasy that became Warriors of Light, which was the first, was it? That was the first one. Did it do this in its original incarnation as well? No. I know that in Warriors of Light they're all wandering around by themselves for extended periods. And then no, no. Join up with one other character, but then that character goes away, and then they, these two join up. And... No. Jesus, how much <laughs> of that game did they redo? Lots. No kidding. I think we got an. I think that's a point for an outro. A short episode is not. We're the not going to do any more retro gaming news. We're, we're, I was winning. You. How can you cock block me at a time like this? Especially after the two looms. You people are the worst. 
and that's why it's a game. <laughs> You're going to wake up one day and I will have eaten your toes. Thank you very much for tuning in, listener. That's been the downloadable concept. That's been Jeb. That's been Fox. It's been nice knowing you, Talon. <laughs> Tune in next week where I will hopefully not be slightly shorter from having my feet eaten. <laughs> Trying to trying to try to lay the plane here. <laughs>